I'd like to start off by saying the solution to all things in life is to never feel sorry for yourself. And for a lot of people, this is a lot easier said than done. And um, I can say from experience that when you feel sorry for yourself, you become mopey and you're more prone to being depressed and you're more prone to uh, yearning for attention and reaching out to people. It's almost like, you know, you don't just flat out come out and flat out say like, you know, hey, I'm having this problem and I'm going through this. But you do other things that represent that expression. For example, you know, everyone's talkative and hanging out and you're there and you're just kind of in the corner. You're just staring off in a space and someone's like, hey, are you OK? And you're like, oh, me? Oh, yeah yeah i'm fine you know (laughs) you're just kind of like mysterious and no i'm fine it's okay and then it's like you're almost reaching like you're almost expecting them to kind of like it's like you're, you're probing them like oh yeah everything's okay but definitely feel free to ask me further details about why i'm acting like this and it, it's almost comical. Now, I could say from from being there, I've been there before, it's not comical. You know, it's it's real, it's a real crummy feeling. And um, but from the outside looking in, when you when you can get over that hurdle and get over that hump and you go back and, and revisit like times that you've been like that, you look at it it's like, man, what was wrong with me? Like, why, why was I like that? And um, I can definitely say in a teenager sense as a teenager when i would do those things you know i really felt because te- I'm, I'm just gonna be very brutally honest and if you're a teenager and you're listening to this you know I'll, I'll apologize in advance but i also don't regret saying this and i'm gonna say it which is uh teenagers are very overly dramatic i'm saying that because believe it or not i once was a teenager and um as a teenager i can remember you know things would happen and it was the end of the world it was the absolute like everybody's gonna hear about this and i'm I'm gonna be in the front news and i'm the most embarrassed person in the world because of you know that one time i sneezed in class and everybody's talking about it and oh they're making fun of my sneeze and eh, why do i sneeze like that and you know and i'm obviously it's a just a real crappy example i mean so okay okay let's backtrack right let's talk about real life stuff besides the sneeze um on a real life uh spectrum platform you know i was going through some stuff as a teenager and if you listen to my other episodes you would know that you know i've talked about my my parents divorcing and that that five-year dark era of my life and how i just went down the the scary, you know, Alice in Wonderland rabbit hole, you know, but I guess mine would be like Robert in, in Weedland or I don't know, whatever modification you want to make to it. But, you know, I, I chased drugs, I chased girls and I, I partied and I, and all of it, all of it was one big cry for attention saying, I don't know how to fix this. You know, all the events that have taken place in my life are so in my mind so tragic that i don't know how to overcome it therefore here's my cry for that attention it was my therapy my therapy was marijuana and um going out and doing crazy things for attention and the high of not just the high from weed but the high from attention you know from doing things that made girls laugh doing things that made guys envy me you know and and coming off as real arrogant and cocky and 
and and you know, all of that was just one big cry for attention. It was me saying, "I need help. Someone save me." But instead of saying those words, if you asked me how I was doing, I would most likely just smile and say, "I'm doing fine." And outwardly, I was trying to present an image that says everything's okay. Even though inwardly, I was crying for my life and saying everything is absolutely not okay. And I know that sounds like a meme. You know, that sounds like something online that you would see. Have you seen that one where, like, uh, I think they have someone, like, graffiti on the wall and it says it's okay, but it's actually the corner of a wall. And on the other side of it, there's a, it's, what is it? It's, oh, there's the word not. So if you looked at it from like the right angle, instead of it saying it's okay, it says it's not okay. Oh, super creative meme, whoever did that one. Uh, Props to you, internet meme guy, person. But anyway, that's kind of what it is. It's this idea that you're trying to present everything's okay, but it's not. And so um, I've been there. I have. I've been there before salvation, and I've been there even after salvation, which is a good way of saying that going to church and, you know, giving your life to Jesus and all that like even though I'm so comfortable with it not everybody is but I can definitely say that it doesn't matter if you're saved or you're not saved life is still going to happen that's very important for people to understand life is 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 hard it's going to be hard and it will always come at you and and gut check you and and just come at you probably you know at the worst times and uh, my opinion you know spiritually to have a, a spiritual uh, perspective on life you, you you tend to be a little more vigilant and a little bit a few steps ahead of, of life you know you it's like you're more prepared it's like you're putting armor on and you're kind of like all right I'm ready for you come at me and you know and then then the wrestling begins and sometimes you win sometimes you lose you know but uh, without that without a spiritual perspective you're kind of just left vulnerable to take gut checks and, and not knowing where life's gonna hit you. And uh, sometimes because of that, you fall a lot harder. And the truth is, the harsh truth is, not everybody can get up from a hit like that. And so to go into a little bit more detail, um, again, as a teenager, I remember, uh, you know, doing those things, like I said, crying for attention. And my expression for attention was, well, it was doing bad things. It was doing bad things in front of people that liked, you know, they were attracted to someone who did bad stuff. And then... At the same time, though, in front of the right people, like parents, for example, presenting myself as a good kid, because I, I also liked that attention. I did, I did like the attention of coming off as the good kid. And so I was that unique child that you can introduce to your family that everyone's going to love because I present myself like I'm a good kid. I take care of your, your, uh, your child, you know, I'm, 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 I'm. I'm the voice of reason, I'm, I'm a nice guy, and, you know, I, I, I think about others, and blah, 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 but then, you know, behind the parents' back with their friend, it was like, you've never drank before? I'm gonna get you drunk tonight. You never smoked before? Oh, wait till we go to this house party, I'm gonna get you high, you know, and instigator, I mean, real bad and horrible, and just, it's tragic, you know, to think, how many people have I led astray because um, I wanted them to feel my pain. That was another strange expression. And I've talked about it before, but 
Um, I, I very much despise nuclear families. And a nuclear family is, you know, the mom, the dad, the kids. And uh, it's just usually the, the them four no more, you know, kind of thing. And that's it's like the, the uh, traditional nuclear family of just mom, dad, and a couple kids. And um, that's what I was. I was part of a nuclear family until, until I wasn't, you know. And by the time it happened, when my parents divorced... And that was, you know, in my, in my mind, the way I word it constantly is that I felt like it was stripped from me because I, it just happened, you know, it just happened. It was like standing on a rug and someone just pulled it from underneath my feet. And I, I was left just, you know, discombobulated, you know, just completely like, what happened? Where am I? Who who am I? Like, what what is this? And it, it happened right before adolescence, right before, you know, I was a preteen, right before those teenage years of going through puberty and and dealing with the adolescence and hormones and and feelings and all that nonsense that comes at you when you're a teenager and going into that with this stripped for me oh my gosh I was a mess it's an absolute mess and um, you know I wanted to be a man and I didn't know what being a man was and uh, times were different back then because being a man was was being aggressive you know it was uh being belligerent it was speaking your mind and it was you know it was it was a pretty negative connotation today uh, i can't speak too much on it because i'm not a teenager going through today's world but i can say from the outside looking in as an adult it looks like what's being taught is almost to demasculinize and i'm not going to get too into details with that because there's there's political perspectives there's religious perspectives that i don't really agree with all those and then you know there's all kinds of strange perspectives on on today's masculinity but it's not what this is about this is what i'm talking about right now is is that that depression you know that sense of figuring yourself out and uh, I've talked about it before with Paul. If you've listened to those those episodes with, with, with Paul, he meant the Paul, he meant his experience. I think it's episode three or four where we discuss therapy and we're talking about how today it's huge. It's huge. Everybody wants to be in therapy. They all do. It's and I thought this was just something in my age group, like in early 30s, because everybody in their early 30s, it's just like just a, just a few years ago, anybody who was 30 years old, a male, every male who was 30 years old had a beard because that was the new thing. You just got to have a beard because you're 30. And today it's like if you're in your 30s, you're, you're in therapy. Everyone is. And then it, it trickles down. It goes down to those in their 20s. And then now it's even trickling down to teenagers, which is I can't even wrap my head around that. You know, that is the hardest thing for me to understand. And I'm trying to think, man, when I was, you know, 13, 14, 15, if I had a therapist, what would it have done for me? And um, it's it is it is so, so hard to put myself in that position because I, I can't. I just can't. Like I'm getting a headache trying to think what would have what would have 14 year old Robert been like if he had gone to therapy? Would I have been a softie? You know, would I have been, would I have ever joined football? You know, would I have, uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It's like, what would I have done if I had joined therapy? And I'm not trying to, for, for, you know, just, just for the record, I'm not trying to be like, 
crude in any way and say, if you have a therapist, what's wrong with you? That's, that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is that um, I personally feel that there's better answers out there. The problem is we live in a world that does not care for proper solutions. They want solutions that fit them. This is very spiritual. And that's going to tick a lot of people off because not everybody wants to hear that. In fact, I'll even go on a whim and say most people are tired of hearing that because they don't hear spiritual. When I say the word spiritual, they hear religion. And they're thinking like, oh, here we go, the religious talk. And I'm, I'm with you, whoever you are that's like, here we go, the religion. I'm with you. I have the same attitude. I can't stand religious talk. Religious talk gets on my nerves um, because I don't consider myself religious. Now, spiritual talk, that's different. And I, I you know, I'm, I have a whole episode about religion and, and relationship because in my opinion, and I can say my opinions backed up with uh, the word of God, that is biblical texts and scripture. In my opinion, religion is a more, uh, how do you say, I guess a fleshed out version of what a relationship with God is meant to be. Because a relationship with God is genuine. It's sincere. It's it's meant to be, you know, it. a relationship with God is the idea that I'm a big screw up and God still accepts me and is willing to help me get through being a big screw up religion says you're so unholy that you're never going to get close to god therefore you have to do all these things to look like you're getting close to god and that's not biblical you know yeah sure we we do certain things out of respect and reverence for god but that's not what gets us closer to god you know, we can't get any closer to God than what we can get. And you're not going to understand that if, uh, one, you don't believe in him. And two, if you don't accept anything in the Bible, that will never be understood to you. You always have a sense of ignorance to that. Um, it's, it's, the, it's the harsh, unfortunate truth. And so uh, going back to the therapy thing, I, th- I feel like people who want therapy, what, what they're really wanting is they want someone to hear them, hear them out. They want someone to like, in a sense, mope and complain to, you know, they want to be able to uh, cry out to somebody and say, hear me out, hear me out. And I can say I remember feeling that when I was younger, I did want someone to cry out to. Even when I do this in a, in a strange sense, I kind of feel the same way. It's almost like, hear me out for a minute. I ain't nobody. You know, I'm no one special. Um, but, but hear me out for a minute. And, um, you know, again, I've, I've said it somewhere in the introduction of what I'm doing here. It's, it's, you know, it is a little bit more meant or geared towards family and, you know, my own kids and whoever, you know, who's close to me that would like to listen. But, but I also have noticed and, uh, that I'm getting a bunch of people out. I've, I've never met. I don't even know who you are, you know, like some of the people that are listening to this. And, um, so in saying that i do feel like well hey man if i can somehow spark some kind of inspiration or or help in any way let me just start off by saying that you know again going back to this the the whole therapy talk and what people are wanting i really feel like the only way to get over it like i said in the beginning of this episode don't feel sorry for yourself because that's where it starts when you start to feel sorry for yourself it's just downhill from there 
It's just downhill from there. And uh, that's the Eeyore mentality. You guys remember Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh? Um, Eeyore was a donkey. I don't know the relationship with uh, Eeyore being mopey as a donkey. But I do know that Eeyore always was kind of just like, "Ah, well, it's life. You know, it is what it is. He never said that, I don't think. But I, I do know that he was very mopey. And he was just kind of like slow and and uh, in my mind, I always saw Eeyore as kind of like the epitome of depression. And I feel like people who go to therapy and, and this is my opinion, I don't I don't I guess I don't really talk to anybody who's, who's really deep into therapy. But in my opinion, people who go to that are trying their best to avoid depression and avoid feeling empty. And um, which is why I've said that the, that the real solution here is, yes, to not feel sorry for yourself. But on top of that, it is it is God. It is salvation. It's something that people don't want to hear. But the reason that's the answer is because in salvation, you find fulfillment. You find purpose without salvation. You do feel empty and you're searching for purpose. And a lot of people find that in their jobs they find that in going out, you know, sometimes they try to go out clubbing and they try to find that in boyfriends and girlfriends. Some people find that in injuring themselves or doing crazy things that give them a crazy high like adrenaline junkies. Um, it's the weirdest thing, man. People will find they will just do whatever it takes to give them some sense of purpose and fulfillment. And like I said, when I was yearning for attention as a, as a kid, it was my way of trying to find fulfillment. I wanted to be full and I was empty. And every time I tried to fill it with something, it wasn't working. And, um, you know, I was I was going out and acting a fool and I was smoking and drinking and and showing off and, and just real, you know, just bad. I was a bad kid, you know, and um I look at kids today and I don't feel like they're that crazy. You know, maybe I know I've talked a lot of trash about the Tic Tac, but uh, who knows, man? Maybe maybe the Tic Tac is actually keeping some of these kids from running the streets the way I did when I was young. You know, um, that doesn't mean that for the, you know, just a little disclaimer here. That doesn't mean I'm, I'm OK with the Tic Tac. I'm not, man. I still think it's absolute garbage. But anyway, um, kids need to be inspired, man. They need to be inspired and they need to have some sense of pull on them. They need something to pull on them. And I feel like the only way that's going to happen is someone can stand in front of them and say, I believe in you. I remember when I joined football and I had coaches believe in me, something happened. And all of a sudden I wanted to be the best whatever I could be in football. And, uh, I didn't even care for sports before. I mean, I, I was attracted to sports, but I never joined. When I joined football in seventh grade, it was the first time I, I, was, I felt like I was making a decision for myself because my parents were split and none of them were really kind of telling me what to do in my life anymore. So when I decided to join, it was like, man, I'm going to do this for myself. And when I told them I was doing it because they needed to sign papers, I was a kid and they, they were shocked. And um, I, if something felt good about it. Something felt good about it. Like, yeah, I, I made this decision. I did this myself. It was an independent decision. And um, it was an innocent one for once. It was it was a pure one for once. It wasn't me hiding behind their back that I was smoking weed or 
you know, trying to muffle my conscience and, and feeling guilty because I was doing bad things. This for, for once, I was doing something innocent and pure that was like, no, I'm gonna do this for myself, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. And when I got in, and coaches started believing me, and you know, the attention thing, I got popularity and blah blah blah, and all that other garbage, and I was using that as a temporary fulfillment. And um, that's why in high school I felt like I'm gonna be in the NFL. I'm being the NFL, even though I'm like you know five foot six and I weigh nothing. Um, I was like I'm gonna I'm be in the NFL. But my backup, and I've said this before somewhere, but my backup was to be a drug lord. I'm either gonna be in the NFL or I'm gonna sell weed for the rest of my life, or I'll find a way to do both. And um, well, I couldn't do both because the weed got the best of me, and I had to quit football. And that was part of my quote-unquote fulfillment, you know, and my therapy, if you will. And it wasn't going to work. So then I just decided to do the drug lord thing. And, well, that ended up putting me in a hospital with alcohol poisoning at 15 years old. And when that happened, I was like, all right, maybe, maybe I'm a big screw-up. <laughs> and and I, was in, I was in limbo for a few months. You know, I was in limbo and I was trying to figure out who have I become and what am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? You know, I've, I've just killed off my two options at life that I've given myself. What am I going to do now? And I tried to still chase whatever dreams I had of, you know, selling drugs in the streets. Even, and I tried to quit drinking a little bit and monitor it but it was it was it was ridiculous because i shouldn't have been drinking in the first place as a kid literally a minor you know I, i've been in handcuffs before because i've been caught with with liquor while in a vehicle you know and like what was i gonna do <laughs> and so i was at i was at these crossroads in my life and i didn't know where to go and never, never did I think therapy was a thing. But that's because back then it really wasn't like I wasn't uh, I wasn't bad enough to be sent to like alternative or ju- juvenile, whatever, you know, school. And I, I wasn't like but I also wasn't good enough to like fully succeed because I was like so bad with with how I treated school and and people around me. So I was like in this strange purgatory I built for myself. And I, I wanted answers. And even though people were helping me, you know, I had people talking to me and trying to help me. My dad was there for me, always supportive. I, I It wasn't enough. My sister, you know, who was always, always lifting me up. And when she introduced me, she introduced me as her big brother, even though I'm her little brother. And she talked about how protective I was. And she presented me like I'm I'm the best guy she knows. You know, like she, she really talked up real big about me. And that, that wasn't enough. I had a girlfriend at the time who was with me throughout the alcohol poisoning. And I had someone tell me that she was wife material because she stayed with me throughout that period. And, and like lifted me up and, and tried to take care of me even after I she saw me like vomiting and defecating and you know all kinds of stuff while while there that party where I went alcohol poisoning and and she was there and that wasn't enough and I had close friends I had popularity I had friends galore man people who who thought I was funny and you know uh, wanted to hang out with me and would call me up and and 
text me and, and wanted to be, you know, hang out. And that wasn't enough. And I just, all the things I put in my life to fulfill myself wasn't enough. And I, I was coming to a point like, I just don't know what to do anymore. For the record, I never once thought to ask myself, okay, you know, there wasn't any type of suicidal conversations going on in my head, but I have a feeling if I lingered there long enough, who knows? But I was definitely lost. I was only 15 going on 16 years old. I remember my 16th birthday just feeling kind of empty, you know, and unsure. And I was going to, you know, quinceañeras and sweet 16s and all that. Those were my clubs. That I treated that like I was my club. And I was doing all this stuff and for five years ruining, ruining my life, making horrible decisions for myself and just lost and broken. And this, that was my story, man. That's what led up to me eventually getting saved. And I've talked about that many times. But when I, when I finally went, you know, when I answered an altar call to, to get saved, to get right with God and give my life to Jesus, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. You know, I, I didn't have it in me to be like, I'm, I'm changing my life. I'm going to fix things. That was not my attitude at all. My attitude was, I need to do something and I don't know what it is. And when salvation was brought before me, I ejected it. I defied it. I was very against it. And, um, you know, someone came up to me and asked me if I wanted to pray. And that, that, that was enough. For the first time, something hit me, like felt like this is what, this is enough. And I went and I prayed and everything broke. Everything broke. All the all the chains, everything, the bondage, everything that I felt was pulling and holding on to me just broke. It unlatched. And um, I, was, I mean, I, I felt so broken. I just felt so beat up and broken. When I got up from that altar, um, which was, you know, just literally a floor in, between, in front of a stage. It wasn't anything fancy. But to me, it was the most spiritual, most holy place I could ever see in my life. And I got up and I remember thinking this is it this is it this is my fulfillment this is my purpose this is what i have to do and i have to defend it and i can't let anything get in my way to strip this from me i can't let things get hard enough again to ruin what what was just given to me and i started to pursue that for the rest of my life is was the decision i made have i screwed up since then absolutely i have have I done a poor job at defending it? Sure. Sure I have. There's been a few times where that has exactly happened. You know, but have I given up? No. Will I give up? No. And that doesn't mean things aren't going to be hard. They're still going to get hard, you know, but I've, I've accepted that I just can't feel sorry for myself and I have to do this because now it's not just me anymore. Back then it was just me, but now it's my wife, it's my kids, it's my family, people who look up to me. You know, I have, uh, I'm an example for, for many young men and even some, some young women who look at my little girls and look at my wife. I'm an example, whether I like it or not. It's not that I put myself in a place that's like, hey, watch me look at my life now. No, no, it's just, I just started living this life and it's the same for anybody who tries to live a life that is fixing and solutionizing things in their life. People tend to start to pay attention and they look to you 
And instead of using that attention to fulfill me, I use it to say, you know what? This needs to be fuel. This needs to be fuel to stay motivated and to do right and to continue because whether I care for it or not, people are watching me and I need to do the best I can. And uh, unfortunately, you know, I am a big screw up, you know, and I, I do screw things up and it happens. But I can't just feel sorry for myself and be like, oh, I'm a big screw up. Uh, nobody likes me. You know, I can't do that. I'm not going to I'm not going to survive. And I could even go as far as saying that I could ruin things for other people if I begin to feel sorry for myself and say, oh, well. So that that's my opinion, you know, on, on what to do when it comes to to finding yourself and you know if you're you're one of those people that feel like you need therapy yeah you know that's i guess in the long run that's your decision whatever you know you have your right to make whatever decision you want but if i if you wanted to ask my general opinion which maybe a lot of people don't care about but if you happen to ask me because we're friends and you ask me i would say don't do it i would say don't do it and don't feel sorry for yourself and to start pursuing what can you do to make things better instead of paying somebody to ask you all these questions about your life growing up and i know i know right now if you're a therapist you're like oh you're ruining this for me i'm sorry man i'm not trying to but what i'm getting at is i i feel like people need direction and i've talked to a lot of a lot of people i have talked to a lot of people who want to give up and i remember one time telling a very close friend of mine and i was like you know they're saying how things were hard and da 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 and i wanted to be able to just be there and be like it's okay buddy it's gonna get better but something in me told him you know what i'm gonna be straight with you man i'm a little older than you i have a little bit more experience i'm gonna be very brutally honest things are gonna get harder and if you can't get through it right now how are you supposed to get through it when it gets harder because it's gonna get harder and i it's like you need to level up man you got to grow up and not a lot of people want to hear that. But if you're not feeling sorry for yourself, something like that can speak volumes. And, you know, I get it. People are sensitive. And, you know, you got to be you got to be respectful to sensitivities and understand that, that it, not everybody can just be told, hey, cowboy up and do that. You know, I, I get that. But at the same time, I don't think it's healthy in any way to just tell people, oh, just let it all out, you know, and da, da, da. It, I do feel like you need to let it all out. Don't get me wrong. But my version of letting it all out is prayer. Just go to prayer. I just I pray to God. I'm like, hey, hear me out, God. I know you know this. You know how hard it is for me. You see it all the time. Take it from me. Replace it with joy and happiness. and Replace it with something that can fulfill me because I can't do this on my own. And I have no problem saying I need that. No problem. But to do that with another person is kind of weird kind of you know just i'm just being honest it's kind of strange you know to just randomly pour out your life to somebody and 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 they're just just supposed to like spit out a formula and you know do this it's gonna work out you know i just just i don't know maybe my opinion is is not for you but that's just how i feel about it and so i think prayer is a great replacement for therapy and i can say that uh salvation is eternal it's continuous it's something you could always turn to It's not something that just dissipates. What dissipates is you and I. Our feelings and our attitudes dissipate. You know, we're we're the problem. But salvation is always a solution. And if you are willing to repent, willing to take on the, you know, 
the reality of, of life and just not feel sorry for yourself, you can get through it. You absolutely can. But you do have to make some decisions. And some of those decisions can be hardcore. And uh, don't listen to the voice that says you can't do it. You do need help. But I would, again, I, I, I feel like it's, I'm going to keep going in circles. It's just, it's prayer and salvation, you know. Talking to just random people about it may not be as helpful as you, you think it may be.